Hi, y'all. We are Three Righteous Mamas, and welcome to our podcast, where we tell the stories that matter and celebrate the power and hope of pissed-off mamas that are building a better world for all of our children. We're proud that this podcast is powered by Texas Signal and that you're going to be on this journey with us. And I'm Cristina Sinsun Ramirez. Hi, I'm Muna Husseini. Hi, Martha Pinkoffs. And we're just three all-American moms, a Mexican, Muslim, and queer mom that want to make sure that we talk about the issues that matter to our kids, their futures, and our families. We imagine that if we weren't doing this podcast during COVID times, we'd probably be around a dinner table, um, me with my delicious vegan food, um, <laughs> and our kids running through the background. Um, they may make cameos in this because now we're recording from our homes. I'm in my kid's three-year-old bedroom. You might see his Lightning McQueen bed in the background, but we all know as moms that we juggle all kinds of things. Well, we wanted to give life to this podcast because we all met after the 2016 election when, because we are Muslim, Mexican, and queer, our families and community felt under attack. And the three of us moms met, and now we want to start talking about not just what we're up against in the last four years, but about the future we start building together. I hope that this podcast becomes its own little family where so many times I feel like we're want to have other moms that have different experiences, backgrounds than us, but we live in really siloed, segregated life. Yeah. And we all but broke through and connected because of politics and mm -hmm. our worlds got bigger and more diverse. And I'm hopeful that this podcast will be that for other folks. So we welcome people of all different kinds of political persuasions, all different kinds of backgrounds, incomes, to be part of this conversation about motherhood, building and creating the world that we want to see and really trying to operate from a space where all of our kids are really all of our kids, right? And that that changes the world that we're going to create for them. So I am excited to introduce you all to our first guest on Three Righteous Mamas. Her name is Carrie Rodriguez. She describes herself as Ameraki Chicana. Um, she's a phenomenal musician and fiddle player and just general wonderful human being. Um, you can find her on the interwebs at Carrie Rock Riguez on Instagram and on her website, CarrieRodriguez.com. She most recently has um, just written the music and lyrics for uh, Americano, a musical about a dreamer's um, journey in, in this country. And it's really beautiful. It has been well received in Phoenix where it was released. And she has also created Laboratorio, which is a musical celebration and exploration of the Latinx culture and its contribution to the American experience. Um, her most recent creation is a song for you, which is just a gift to the world in the time of COVID. You can find it on carryrodriguez.com. So let's talk to her. Welcome to the Three Righteous Mamas podcast, Carrie Rodriguez. So happy to be here, y'all. We're so glad to have you. So what is, what's crazy is that I get to introduce one of my dear friends, but as a professional. So I had the, the pleasure of going back and looking at all of the things that you've accomplished in, since, the, the, since the Wikipedia talks about it, Carrie. And it's so crazy to think that 
because I don't think about my friends professionally, like achievement wise, I admire you. I always admire you. I think that you're one of the most magnificent humans and talented humans that I know. Um, but then to see, you know, the, you played, you started with Chip Taylor. And I remember when you started with Chip and you started just playing fiddle and then he got you to start singing, which was so fun to witness. Um, like I remember the first time seeing you on stage um, playing with him. It's so crazy. Um, and then to, to have followed, you know, you opening for, for people that we used to listen to when we were little, like John Prine and Patty Griffin and Lucinda Williams. Um, and you shared space with all of those people and collaborated with all of those people, which just, when I step back from it, really blows my mind. Um, and then in the, most recently watching you release Lola and getting to experience that as your friend, watching you move into that space and own that space um and that record is my favorite personally just because i think it's so beautiful um but i know the heartbreaks that you're singing about because i've gotten to see the personal stories of them and and i admire the tenderness that you bring to to these stories and the way that you translate them um and i haven't gotten to see americano yet but i cannot wait she um she is now somebody who has written the music and and songs for a Broadway show, for a musical. It's not a Broadway show yet, but it should be. Um, but she like, devoted herself to that and brought to life this story of the dreamer and, and put it on a stage in Phoenix and people came and applauded and loved it. And it's just, it's such a pleasure to get to introduce my friend as, as, as the professional version. Hi, Martha, you're going to make me cry already at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) 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 But thank you. What a lovely intro. Amiga. (laughs) Oh, it's It's fun to, this is so fun to think about all of those things that you mentioned. Right. Play them through my my memory bank as you're talking about them. That's how, that's how it worked for me when I started reading them. Um, so Three Righteous Mamas is about mamahood. And one of the things that I know about you and one of the influences, one of your influences that I know really well is your mama, Katie Nail. Mm-hmm. And you have been, you are surrounded by these just epically powerful um women i mean i think about your grandmas i think about your mom um and i just wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how having those women in your life has shaped who you are as an artist as a mom and just as a human Mm, wow yeah i I, starting with my mother um you know she is a, a an amazing painter and I have memories of being like probably toddling around two years old, three years old, and like, you know, smelling the turpentine in the living room. <laughs> um, I fell into one of her paintings once when it was still wet. But it was like, I was surrounded by that. That was all I knew. So as I grew up in that environment, I just kind of 
I guess I thought everyone's mother did things like that. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I really did. And and when I started playing music, um, it was by my choice. You know, I that was something that I wanted to do. I was five, but I came home from school and begged my mother to get me a violin because they were giving uh, violin classes to, to kids in public school and kindergarten at the time. Um, and she, of course, she was completely supportive, uh, but never pushed me either because she always just wanted me to do what I loved, you know? And so, but growing up in that environment, like the idea of becoming a, a, a professional musician or, or making art for a living didn't seem insane. Right. <laughs> and it really is actually <laughs> looking back. But, but I think what a beautiful way to grow up because it was just like endless possibility in front of me. Um, and then I also saw it in my grandmother, her mother, who uh, was this very strong, very outspoken, hilarious Texan woman who in a way was kind of a, a late bloomer. Like she started painting. Yeah, she started painting in her maybe early 40s. She went back to art school. Uh, really? Um, once her girl, she had two daughters at the time, my mom and her sister, um, as they were getting older. And she, she went and she studied modern art and became this wonderful abstract painter, silkscreen artist in Houston. And then in her 70s, she started writing stories about growing up during the Great Depression in uh, a small town, Texas, and uh, ended up getting published when she was, oh, I want to say, I can't remember exactly, maybe 74 was her first book. But, but she she had four books published in her 70s and early 80s. That is 80s. the coolest. And I'm only halfway to what I could achieve. That's good to know, right? Like, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> so, right? Just like really quickly, you mentioned and I read about this and I couldn't believe it, that you picked up the violin at age five, which is just wild to me. Like, I think when I was five, I, you know, to imagine that you at age five found your life passion is just so incredible um, to me. And that like, what a special thing that is to find that at such an early age. I'm just wondering if you could tell me like, what drew, drew you to that? And like, did you know that early that this was your heart, your passion and what you wanted to do? Well, it, Again, it was just this amazing opportunity laid out in front of me because at my public elementary school, the, the year that I started kindergarten, a violin teacher named Bill Dick started a program, a pilot program in schools teaching Suzuki violin lessons to kindergarten students. And I was just so lucky to be there that year that he started that. And I remember they would do it during nap time. And I was really bad at nap time. I would talk the whole time and kept getting in trouble. <laughs> In fact, I had to have a parent-teacher conference pretty early on because of it. Uh, so, But I remember like getting up to, to go to the bathroom in the hallway and, and during nap time and hearing those squawky, tiny violins playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and being so drawn to that awful sound because it does not sound good on those little bitty. <laughs> uh, but I was just fascinated by it. And, and really, I, genuinely, I remember the feeling, like going home, telling my mom about it. The class had already started. It was kind of well into the school year. And I remember her sort of questioning me, like, are you sure you, okay. I mean, if you really want to do it, I'll get you a violin, but you really want to do it. And uh, as soon as she did, I was, I was in and I never looked back. Um, 
She also took me that year, after I had started taking the lessons, she took me to see Itzhak Perlman, famous concert violinist, yeah. performing at, at the Bass Concert Hall. And I mean, we had terrible seats. We were at the very back, um, the cheap seats, but we spotted two open seats on the front row. And at intermission, we snuck down there, got That's those right. seats. Like, I like right. your mom. I like your mom. That's the way you do it. You get the cheap seats and then you go into the front <laughs> exactly right. and uh, I just I was so excited and completely like enamored by this man and the music he was making and at the end during the encore he was probably playing Paganini or something something really flashy and amazing in the middle of his encore piece I stood up and started clapping because I was just so excited Cute. Um, and, and my mom loves to tell this story, but she's, she says that he, he looked down at me and gave me the most loving, beautiful look. <laughs> it's like, he blessed me. He did. Um, but yeah, like that was a, that was a really important experience for me at that age. And I think it stayed with me for a long time in that, in those early years of playing the violin, which there, it's kind of tough. It's a tough instrument to get into because it just takes time before you sound like anything. It sounds uh, so squawky for a long time. It really does, especially those little bitty violins, yeah. You know what really strikes me about your story, Carrie, is you talk to us a, about the sort of attitude of everything is, you know, blue skies is the limit. And you came home, right? You'd, you'd been to these parent-teacher conferences about your nap and you were like, mommy, I wanna play this funny sounding instrument, okay. And that is the power of motherhood. And you look so many decades later and look at the stories you've written, the art you've released, right? The, the lives you've impacted. And it just blows my mind that people do not understand the impact or the credit that goes to mothers in shaping the world. Beautifully put. Yeah. And, and also it, like understanding how important art is you know, and, and just everyday life and also in shaping the world. And I, I think she really, of course, knew that from personal experience. And, and that's what I was taught. And I'm just so grateful for that understanding. It's crucial. Yeah. You've got a generational legacy of it, yeah. which is so cool because that, I mean, they're, they're generational legacies of all sorts of things, but to have that be part of yours is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and it comes from both sides of my family, too, which is, right. yeah. It makes me think also about your story, right? So I was reading about Americano. As Martha mentioned, it is a new musical that tells the story of an Arizona dreamer, right? And it's one thing to play the violin. It's one thing to learn how to sing. And then take something you know about and care about and bring all your skills together to tell a story that then someone else believes in and helps to put this really huge production together that others then come and see. You know, there might be people who say, hey, just be an artist, just play your music, quit mixing politics with what you're doing. What would you say to them, Carrie? Hmm. Well, First of all, I, I will say in terms of how I, how I entered into the, the project, um, it was something that, that came to me. I, the, the producer 
of the show and the, the two book writers who were writing down the, the story needed someone to write the music and the songs. And they, they reached out to me. I think they had listened to my album Lola and felt like I might be the right voice for this. Uh, when they first reached out, it was frightening. Number one, I have no experience in musical theater, zero. I've hardly seen any in my life. <laughs> um, and then, yes, the, the whole aspect of, oh, well, this is, a, this is a really difficult topic for people to talk about, for a lot of people to talk about right now. And it is political. Um, but the thing that... The thing that made me go, of course I'm going to do this, was like, okay, I was given whatever gifts I was given when I was born genetically. I have these musical skills that I've worked at, and now I have an opportunity to use them to tell a story that could change lives. How could I say no to that? Mm -hmm. Whether it pisses somebody off or not, whatever, this is an opportunity to, for me to, to contribute to the world in a way that I I haven't yet. So it was just like, of course, I'm going to say yes. It's scary as hell. But um, and and really the goal with with the musical and also even just with any time I'm writing a song is to write something that connects to people on a personal level, something that we can all relate to and understand no matter what political background we come from, um, yeah. really just no matter where we grew up or how we grew up, I, I would love to write songs that everyone can just feel something when they hear them. Mm -hmm. And and that's how I approached the musical. Um, and, I, and I feel like we really did achieve that. I mean, we had people sending in comments after the fact that uh, were from, we had just as many Republicans as Democrats sending in comments about- about how it affected them and how and how they were changing the way they thought about immigration and about dreamers so yeah that kind of blew my mind actually that, that to me is like the highest power of art and i yes. think that in this moment we have confused our humanity with politics yeah. especially as it relates to to dreamers and you know fill in the blank a million other things but and, like humanity isn't political be. I was wondering for you, Carrie, you know, like, um, one, I was really excited to hear you're now on the Jolt Board, which is the organization that I launched after the 2016 election. I think we were probably both pregnant around the same time, right? Because you're yeah. so, how old? Uh, he's about to turn five. Oh, okay. How about you? My son's three and a half. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I saw, I met you at, at the screening for that documentary that Chelsea was working on and you were pregnant in it. Yeah. Right. She just, and it was yeah. a little, it was a little short documentary about the Trump administration. And it was myself. I'm my dad's white. My mom's Mexican, um, born in the United States. And then, um, another woman, but my partner is a dreamer and another document, another woman that was undocumented and both our kids were born I think like five days apart after yeah. Trump. And you sang a song there, um, and I was just captivated by your voice. And I was also drawn to you because we're both halfies, um, mm -hmm. uh, half white, half Mexican. And I always felt like as a kid growing up that it was this great 
background and mix. Um, and I'm sure growing up in Texas, it was even more so for you. It was just like, I'm Texan, right? (laughs) But I'm wondering for you, you know, I feel like for so many folks I know, especially a lot of halfies, that after Trump won and his rise to power that was really like on the backs of our community, that his statements about Mexicans and Latinos, and of course we live in this duality as Latinos, especially here in Texas, where yes, there are many people that are newly arrived to this country that are part of our community, but then many of us have existed and lived in Texas and in these lands before the United States even existed. Yeah. And so it's this weird place to be. And I'm just wondering for you how your own story and identity, you know, changed or how you told it or how you experienced it post-Trump. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, w- I will say that it was like leading, even leading up to Trump getting, you know, elected, I, I, I feel like I just felt I felt it percolating and I felt it coming, even though, I mean, at the time, I, I, I do remember being shocked right. that he won, but like we all were. But um, I feel like that the album that I made, Lola, came at this time that it actually it was like I sort of sensed it coming in a way, or maybe it's just because it was all around me, but, but that album did definitely speak to the time and then him getting elected and there were so many songs that I could talk about in the moment that felt like right then 2016 it was like and yeah it was weird it was a little eerie um it helped me it helped me find ways it again it's like with music for me anyway it's easier for me to express something in song maybe than just to use my words when I'm having a conversation especially something that's difficult um, and that is just so polarized like I can say it in song and I feel like there are people out there who can receive it and not immediately just shut down you know and I know because I've I see some of my fans like I'm aware that they are um, definitely conservatively leaning fans and Um, I think that's great. I want them to hear my music. Yeah. And and the last thing I want to happen is for them to like shut down and not listen to these songs. Um, I, I did like, I, there's one very personal song I wrote called The West Side that talked about my upbringing here in Austin, growing up on the, on the west side of town. And it was just a very... The story I, I, I tell sometimes when I'm setting up the song is that I came home from school one day. I was, I think, around seven years old, and I told my mom I wanted to change my last name. I didn't want to be Rodriguez anymore. And she asked me why, and I, I said, because the other kids at school who have my last name, they all get made fun of because they have lunch cards. And, and I don't have a lunch card, and I don't want to get made fun of. Just like heartbreaking and and at the time they were so they were busing kids from the east side of austin to the west side of austin like trying to mix up kids and uh then they abruptly stopped doing that i think when i was in the fifth grade so there were a lot of latinos at my school but most of them came from the east side of town and 
I, along with, I remember one, one other kid, we were the only two Latinos from our side of the tracks at that school. Mm-hmm. So it, I just never really, uh, it was very hard to, to, to like know my place. I, I didn't feel like I really fit in with a lot of the kids from my neighborhood. They didn't really want to hang out with me that much. And it was also hard to fit in with the kids from the east side because they knew I lived on the west side. Mm-hmm. And, and they knew I had those privileges. And so it was really tough. Uh, and I would overhear things that were so ugly. Like I remember kids from my neighborhood saying racist things right in front of me because they didn't really, nec- I mean, they didn't, maybe they didn't know what I was, but they didn't think about it too much. Right. And they would use terms like wetback right in front of me. Um, so I talked about that in the song and, and wait, when you were seven. Yeah. Yeah. I was seven. My mama bear is all on fire right now. Going. Right now. Yeah. But I, in the moment, like my mother, my mother said, you know, you, you should be so proud of your name and if you still feel the same way when you're 18, we can talk about it again, but be proud and be proud that you're representing who you are, where you live. They need you. So, uh, you know, it's a really, it is tough right now. Like I live, now I live on the east side in a predominantly working class neighborhood and watching what's going on around me it's, it's just such a, like, for example, let's talk about the coronavirus. Right. All of my neighbors have had it. Yeah. All of my neighbors. The man down the street, musician, just passed away last week. It's like we are living in a different reality over here. Yeah. It's just so not not balanced. And, and it's amazing to think I grew up in the 80s. And 90s and now here I am all this time later and I don't feel like things are that different they're not Carrie I mean if we walk if we go over to the old neighborhood it is like it, coronavirus doesn't exist because it doesn't there exactly right? yeah. well, I resonate so much with your story experience in some ways like in some ways different right um, but what I found for so many Latinos and also especially Hathis, because I launched Jolt the week after the 2016 election, and it was just like this influx of Latinos, young Latinos, that felt like, I'm not Latino enough, but I'm really angry, right? And I think that so many of us, um, and I found it actually from all different kinds of Latinos. I found it from folks that were dreamers. They felt like they had been here so long that their Mexican or Central American family didn't think they were enough. Um, I found it from halfies because they you know, felt like they were living in two worlds and thus they couldn't fully own one part of themselves. I found it from um, folks that were fifth generation Texan but didn't speak any Spanish and thus they felt like they weren't enough. Right. And I think what we all realized is like, as long as we love our culture, our community, our people, then we are enough. And that the stories that people tell us about how we have to be, um, or that there's one singular way to be Latino, that actually there's not, um, especially in Texas, where we make up 40% of the state's population. Um, but I really also resonate with you saying, like, it's not that different from the 80s or 90s. And that's the crazy part is just like, 
in Texas. I'm wondering how you feel about this too, because you're exposed to so many different kinds of circles and places. And as a Latina artist, I feel like we make up a huge portion of the state's population. And in some ways we still remain so invisible, you know? And I, like, how does that feel for you? Like, do you feel the weight of caring? Like I'm, I'm sure you get placed as like the Latina artist that thus <laughs> represents all these experiences. Like how, how do you balance that? What is that like? Yeah, I'm starting to see that even more lately. Like, I feel like I'm getting contacted more often just because I'm Latina. And they're like, oh, we need our Latina musician to fill out our <laughs> roster. <laughs> um, but I, the, like, up until just recently, though, I, I feel like I was often I would feel overlooked uh -huh. because I was Latina, especially yeah. in the folk Americana world. Yeah. I really, and I, you know, it's hard to really know for sure, but I just always felt like it was this good old boys club. I mean, I play the fiddle. I Girl, sing. You know, that's true. I'm, I know, and I play folk music and I, you know, have a twang when I sing in English. I can't help it because I'm Texan. And I just felt like for a long time, not a part of that club. And, and I would think, God, I've been doing this for so long and I've, worked with so many different people it just and seems you're so like good at it i should be in with these people but um i'm i'm seeing change because it's all something we're talking about right now i am seeing some change lately and if some people are including me in their roster because i'm latina okay i i am not offended i'm gonna go and i'm gonna represent and i'm gonna you know hope that that next time it's not just one latina that they're adding for their quota, but you know, they've got a whole roster full, but, um, yeah, it is, it is, a, it, it's definitely been something that's nagged at me throughout my career, especially in the Americana world, the, the genre of Americana music. Mm -hmm. And do you think it's because they don't see, like I said, it's weird sometimes because, um, as Latinos, especially Tejanos, like, folks are indigenous to this land, right? And yet yeah. our music, our culture, and people that represent, even though you're in the Americano uh, sub subsect, right? That your music sometimes I'm sure is not seen as that, that it's seen as yeah. Latin or whatever that el whatever else they want to place it as just because of who you are, right? Yeah, like foreign or something. It's, yeah. I know, it's really strange. Or, I mean, I made this record that in my mind was, such a it was actually a very country sounding record i half of it is in spanish but we have pedal steel guitar and i'm playing the fiddle and the other half is kind of in spanglish and to, in my mind this is like the ultimate country americana album mm -hmm. this is what americana should be yeah right it's a, a blend of of cultures and i just didn't feel like it got much recognition in yeah. that arena which surprised me it did yeah it surprised me too as Christina was mentioning earlier, you have a four-year-old and now you're a mother who is also an artist who is doing so many things. Talk to me about that journey of how motherhood is now impacting the work you're doing, the, the values you bring to the work you're doing and how it influences your music and the way that you approach the world. Well, it's it certainly, something that at 
I guess as a musician, I've had such an extraordinary life pre having my son Cruz in that, I mean, for a living, I got to like tour around the world and play music for people. I mean, what a, what a, what an amazing privilege and while that I, I could do that for so many years. But at the same time, I felt like that life um, prevented me from really understanding how people live, like daily experience of my brothers and sisters, of people, you know, around me. I just felt like it kind of kept me in this bubble. Uh, and having a child really grounded me so that, okay, I'm doing something that all these other people in the world are doing, and we're having a shared experience in many ways. And that really made my, made my music more meaningful, made me more grateful when I did go out and perform for people, but I think it made my, my songwriting have much more depth and, and just understanding mm -hmm. because it is such a universal experience. Um, now moving forward is yeah a, a mom of a, an almost five-year-old i do try to expose Cruz to as much music and art as possible i we took him out to phoenix for the opening of americano it's a it's a very adult musical with tons of f-bombs <laughs> <laughs> but i had him in that audience and i was really just so so happy to sit there with him and watch him take that in. Yeah. And and I don't know how much of the story he understood, but I, I hope that, you know, he at least got like the heart of it. Okay, here's this young man who we're celebrating, who has done all these things. And, and no, he wasn't born in this country, but he is every bit as American as you are. And I just, I feel like it's really important to, to let our kids see as much as they can at an early age. I I feel like it's perfect circle back to where you started with talking about like your first memories were with your mom painting and seeing the art she created. I imagine Cruz's first memories, your son, are going to be of his mom performing. Mm -hmm. um, that's just like a beautiful generational, you know, thing to pass down to your children, right? Um, like, I don't have anything like that. It's just like amazing to me. As I've gotten older, I've almost started to believe like some things maybe we carry them with the, ourselves and our genes, but maybe science doesn't yet know how to like map that out, like a certain creativity or art gene or um, mm -hmm. strategic brain thinking piece. Like I'm wondering for you too, you like as a mom and you're raising your son, you know, you see him trying to expose him to all this art and music and how as someone so young, that at five found her passion, how do you, like, what's your advice to other moms and how do you try and do it to foster him figuring out what his own passion and heart is when you as someone found it so young? Yeah, I realize I am an anomaly and it's not normal. <laughs> I don't have anybody else in my life that's like at five, I picked up my- <laughs> I know, I know, I realize it, it is really crazy. Um, and it also had its its like downsides because there were, there were times, in my musical career where I'd go, God, I've just been doing this for so long and I'm only 14 or whatever. Like I would kind of feel, <laughs> feel worn out by it, but I knew that it, it was what I had to do. Um, but yeah, my advice would be like, like I was saying before, I think just 
letting your kids see and experience as much as possible, you know, taking them to art exhibits that even if it's like seems something that like something that's super adult, they're going to get something from that. They're going to take something from that. Um, well, I, I'd like to admit that I haven't listened to all of your music, but I'm really excited to do it because as I was reading about you, one of the things I read was that you put a profoundly human light on your work. And especially in these times, that is so important for us to be connecting as people and not drawing lines around our humanity and where I fit and where you get to be, but that we're all sort of in this thing together. And especially because, you know, I, I had some chills as you were saying that you can express yourself in song better than in conversation. And I have to wonder how much thought goes into your music. And um, I'm looking forward to, to connecting with you and, and listening to your music and thinking about it and feeling it. And just on that note of what you were talking about as you were listening to this ACL taping and you were in tears and the conversations that brings up with your son and the real conversations that art has put into your life um, reminds me that I need to do more of that with my own kids. I, I work in tech. I am busy. I, I sometimes joke that uh, I'm just struggling to keep up with school lunches. So thank you, COVID. I, <laughs> I'm struggling even more with school lunches yeah. and snacks and breakfast and all of that. But um, it's been really um, amazing listening to you not only talk about your art, but also about your um, journey over time, the influence that your mother, father, and family have had on you. And, and then again, how motherhood has also impacted your journey. I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with the three righteous mamas, Carrie. Oh, I am so grateful to be here. This has just filled my heart up, y'all. Thanks for having I'm me. Too. We're going to bring our kids, once COVID is over, we'll bring our kids together and we'll listen to Carrie's music and have our kids dance around, so. There you go. We can all come to a laboratorio in real life. <gasps> yes, for real. Don't make, don't make us warm for getting back together in person until it can happen. <laughs> <laughs> so happy to, to be with y'all tonight. Thank you Thanks. for having me. like what for sometimes like what you said earlier Muna is what I think about it's like we don't think about what we pass down to our kids like um culture heritage is not just about like your identity it's about like the values and what you teach your kids and these gifts that we get to give them and that especially like I think in this moment of darkness being able to pass on like storytelling art and culture um is something really powerful like I guess I guess I think two-pronged one like what we pass down to our kids you know being conscious about how that forms who we are mm -hmm. um and like the legacy we leave through other people right yeah. um is one big thread I think I wanted like that would do something I'd want to say and then the other thing is like that we are just weeks away from the election <laughs> and while it's really dark and hard um, we have to also remember like the humanness in all of us and the role that art, music, 
and storytelling can play in helping us imagine a different world that it doesn't have to be this way. Those are the two things that I think about. I love that. I mean, my do you, my the very first thought I had on the morning after the election, like before I was even consciously aware, was and I'm was that we need the artists. Like that was the only, the very first thing that was in my head, and I don't even know where it came from because I am not an artist. I like I love it, but I for there was something like just animal in me that knew that the way that they translate the world that we needed that bridge mm -hmm. i'm actually really liking this theme if we are the three righteous mamas maybe when we do our outro our our rap can be all of us saying something or one of us saying something but it's like what threads of motherhood did we hear mm -hmm from our speaker or what threads of motherhood are we taking mm -hmm. that we will use, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and tying that, like that's maybe what our bow is this time or, or next time, right? Because so many times I just feel like motherhood gets discounted. It's not that important. You're just cooking, you're just cleaning, you're just, I don't know, whatever, however people define it, right? Like it's not important, you don't get paid for your time thankless right but like these things you're saying both of y'all are saying are so profound right yeah i mean like i think of the person that i admire most in the whole world is my mother you know um that taught me like my values my purpose how to be in the world, you know? And like, that's what I heard from Carrie too, is like, wow, her gift and passions, like those were her first memories with her mom doing art. And now her son, those are his first memories of his mom singing and performing and talking about not only the world as it is, but as it should be. Like, that's mm -hmm. so beautiful, you know? One of the things that came up for me while Carrie was talking with that story when she was seven of her experiences of being othered or racism. And it always makes me think when those children that were saying things about wetbacks were telling those stories, where did they hear that conversation? And for us as parents, do we own the conversations we're having and how they manifest outside of the walls where we had those conversations, right? Because those were other children who were also seven Mm -hmm. That's first grade. Right. Right. So those kids are just sharing things that they've heard that they think are normal. Right. And as kids do, because kids are beautiful, right? Like they, they say up. things without a filter. And how powerful is our parenthood? And how intentional are we being about what we're putting out there? Right. And so that's also part of our collective legacy that we all have to be thinking about. Um, and if I think about the other things I heard from Carrie are the power of real conversations, because that also has to be modeled at home. If our children are going to learn it, hopefully our children learn it, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what, but how are we being real at home to then allow real outside the home? Mm 
Mm-hmm. Right? There's an opportunity for modeling that. And <laughs> I know we need so much more of that right now. Real conversations that are helping us connect, not just social media arguing, whatever that is, right? But like effective, real connection that is built with, with trust and sincerity, right? So we have to be building that at home. And, and I guess lastly, I am just loving this thread of motherhood, planting these seeds of belief that my children can and will, and here's the door, I am opening it for you. I am sending you through. That's the one thing I wanna take away from, from her. Cause like, I'm not an artist either and doing art scares me. So how much comfort do you need to have with vulnerability to do that? Like, yes, I am scared, but I'm going to put my own creation out there anyways. And to me, that is such courage in the face of fear. Totally. And freedom. I guess I'll just end um, by saying it makes me think of this cultural, cultural saying or religious saying we have that a mother's lap is the first school that a child has. And case in point with this story and talking to Carrie, right? Like cannot underestimate what a righteous mama is gonna bring into the world. Yeah, you had a baby, but then how does that baby enter the world and what does that baby do, right? So much power there. And, and I, I see so much hope in this story. So Martha, thank you for bringing Carrie to us for this conversation. Thank you for listening to Three Righteous Mamas on behalf of the Texas Signal. The podcast was edited by Sara Thakvi. To find out more about who we are and what we do, please visit our website at texassignal.com.